Shravi, have you seen the new Naomi Nike collection? Yes, I love it. I feel like she's had a new business deal or project every other day. If we want to talk about reliable results, Naomi having a new business deal is a top contender. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hold On To Your Racket. We are now on episode 96, so really closing on on that big 100. Do we have anything planned for our 100th episode? I think, like, the last time we talked about it, it was just, like, you know, like a nice little dinner between the two of us celebrating. Oh, yeah, you're right. We are also very close to hitting 10,000 streams on the podcast. We think we're going to get there with this episode, so help us get to 10,000, guys. That's crazy. I didn't even realize. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess we have a lot to look forward to but there's also a lot writing on this episode then, I guess. So Yes. But yes. luckily, we have a lot of very interesting topics, especially considering that the French Open is coming up, as in this week, so we're going to hit you with that preview. And in addition to that, we have a lot of, like, pretty juicy hot headlines. Yeah, so the first one, getting right into it, is that the ATP and the WTA are considering stripping ranking points from Wimbledon um, in response to Wimbledon's ban of against Russian and Belarusian players. So basically, this is following talks and discussions between the ATP and WTA tours and Wimbledon, um, and the tours, obviously, we saw their joint statement saying that they condemn this decision, um, so they kind of this is their way of wanting to uh, take action. And it's a pretty big measure um, in that. So Steve Simon, the WTA CEO, led a conference call with many players, and he said that he was in favor of stripping ranking points as a response to to Wimbledon's ban. And he's basically awaiting ratification from the WTA board and the player council. Um, And again, you know, note that both the ATP and the WTA are on the same page about this um, in terms of being against this ban. So that's what the WTA has been up to. Yeah. You know, Steve Simon, you can always count on him. He's so proactive. He is like, yeah. Yeah. And then as for the ATP, they've also had meetings in like the most recent tournaments like Madrid and Rome to discuss the same thing. And apparently a lot of the top players are in favor of this. And I think we've definitely seen that through the media as well. So it's great that it kind of matches up with this statement. And the ATP and WTA are communicating so that they can come with a unilateral response to this. Because, like we said before, they already released a joint statement speaking like against the ban. So it makes sense that their next move would also be joint. And um, just the big thing to note here is that the reason ranking points are such an important point here is because the ATP and WTA, they can't do anything about the ban because that's under Wimbledon's control. So, for example, like, they can't cancel Wimbledon. They can't, like, do anything regarding Wimbledon's, like, governing body because that's only, like, the Grand Slams are separate from the ATP and WTA. But they can do something about the ranking points. And after all, that is what gives Wimbledon its prestige. So I can't even imagine what a Wimbledon would be like without players getting those points. It's almost, like, otherworldly to me. Yeah, I think it's weird. It's, like, weird because it's kind of, in a way, unfair to players who, like, are not involved in this, like, at all. Who are just, like, trying to get ranking points, move their way up. And, like, for some who's you know, like, like, they really care, but at the same time, I still think it, like, I don't know, I, 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 I'm still figuring out how I feel about this, but I think that the prestige of it, like, I think these players, 
the winner, like, it'll still matter. It's kind of like when we had the COVID US Open. Like, people were like, oh, does it deserve an asterisk? But people still cared about it. I think people will still care about this. It's just, it just puts them in a weird position. And what you said before is interesting that, like, it's kind of unfair to the players that have nothing to do with it. But, like, that's what this whole issue is, is that even for the Russian and Belarusian players, that's the thing. Like, it's the governing bodies, it's the people at the top making these big decisions, and they might not necessarily deserve the repercussions, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what this whole big issue is about. So it's kind of, it's it's weird because, like, the injury individual players opinions and what they need and want it really gets muddled in this when the governing bodies are really starting to like get a huge like hold on the reins when it comes to the bigger decisions i guess right because in the end it's just all politics we talked extensively about the our thoughts and mixed feelings about the wimbledon ban itself in our last episodes or a couple episodes ago because I know, speaking personally, I perfectly see both sides. Like, mm-hmm. Well, not perfectly, but I can totally understand both sides. You can convince me one day for one and the other day for the exactly. other. Exactly. It's really but, tough. Um, I'm interested to see what the Ukrainian players think of this measure, um, because it sounds like on both sides some of the top players are um, in favor of this. But I wonder if um, I wonder what the Ukrainian players think about this decision. Um, I haven't heard of much yet, but uh, it would be an interesting um, opportunity to see what they have to say. But as far as the other tournaments taking place in the UK that kind of follow um, the Wimbledon umbrella somewhat, the ATP did make a statement announcing their decision around the Eastbourne and Queens tournaments, um, saying, quote, LTA's decision to ban Russian and Belarusian athletes is, however, contrary to ATP rules and undermines the ability for players of any nationality to enter tournaments based on merit and without discrimination, a fundamental principle of the ATP tour. So they're basically, they said they're not going to be stripping ranking points from the Eastbourne and Queens grass tournaments. Um, and then this is what they said in their statement about how, um, you know, they still, in terms of principle, like that's their stance. Um, but as far as the WTA regarding its warm-up tournaments before Wimbledon, they have not yet announced their decision about Nottingham, Birmingham, and Eastbourne. Yeah, and I think, like, something interesting here, like, we were even talking about our kind of stances on the thing, because what you said about being able to be convinced either way, I feel like the biggest thing here is that the ATP and WTA are kind of in an awkward position because they're going directly against what the Ukrainian players wanted because I know we spoke about a few that actually advocated for their ban and it's just it's a difficult position to kind of understand the difference between being anti-Ukraine versus anti-anti-Russian you know what I mean like Russian player because again we're talking about individuals like this is a completely individual sport and even when it comes to doubles like (laughs) individuals are ranked in the system so it's just it's a really just weird, not weird situation. It's just, like, hard to yeah talk about. But, yes, even though it is an individual sport, at the same time, they're still part of, like, the Russian sporting image. Yeah. So it's still, I mean, yeah, it's not it's, like it's totally different from soccer or, like, something like that. But it's still, it's, it's, it's yeah, you don't know where to draw the line. Um, but, um, we'll see how this ranking points decision takes place, um, because it seems like it's very much, um, agreed upon within the player councils and, like, the top players, so we'll see. In more happy news, Alina Sutalina is pregnant. So on Sunday, Gail and Alina announced that she is pregnant with their first child. Um, they got married last year um on july 16th and the baby is coming in october of this year yes and then they announced it on social media with you know one of those like glam alina guile pics and it said with a heart full of love and happiness we are delighted to announce that we are expecting a baby girl in october and even naomi osaka commented congratulations october babies are the best lol of course she added the lol (laughs) <laughs> That's such a Naomi thing to do. 
it is. Um, but yeah, awesome news for them. And um, unfortunately, they are both missing the French Open. And Alina's break actually has nothing to do with the pregnancy. She's decided to take a break from tennis due to the mental toll the Ukrainian war has taken on her, which I completely like understand because, I mean, she's at the center of it, really. And I don't think we've heard anything from her ba- about the ATP WTA thing we just talked about, though, because she's been very outspoken in the past. So she might be working with, um, what's her name, Kostyuk on like kind of a joint statement against it. I feel like they would definitely say something about it. But um, and then Gael, unfortunately, will be getting minor surgery on his heel because he suffered a lesion since Monte Carlo in April there. But I mean, at least they're together, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in other sad news, this is kind of a hot headline, kind of not, but we just want to, you know, discuss it here. Rafael Nadal's injury, because this was a big topic of conversation. So during his weird defeat to Denis Shapovalov, his chronic existing foot injury that we have seen, unfortunately, narrate many parts of his career time and time again, flared up, um, and the pain was really visible and heartbreaking. You could see during the latter ha- latter portions of that match that he was really having to lean on um, the towel, uh, the towel boxes, and you know, really struggling. Um, and he said daily training is challenging and he's taking a doctor with him to Paris. Um, but he has, you know, consistently made it a point to make sure that, um, he is, you know, making it clear that he is in fact playing the French Open on his social media. He's, um, you know, posting a lot of training pics, seeing, you know, saying like, see you soon Paris. And I think this again speaks to the stigma, especially towards, male athletes that top athletes need to keep up the appearance of being invincible we've talked about this as well um a lot with some of the rhetoric around carlos alcaraz retiring in one of his matches i think it was at the u.s open or something or even around nadal um that showing weakness um or physical weakness is like a uh you know something that you can't do as a tennis player or as an athlete but yeah it's like like humanity is a flaw yeah, or also that retiring or, like, um, being injured is, or rather retiring is not, like, people praise tennis players for fighting through it an injury and completing a match and will accuse players, um, again, especially male players, um, in this specific context of being weak um, or, like, unmanly or not, you know, strong enough if they choose to retire because they need to take care of their body um so i hate the glorification of nadal for fighting through his injury his foot injury most of the time because i think most of the time it is put in this toxically masculine perspective of like oh my gosh he's a real man he's a real athlete he's a true warrior whereas i think that he has always tried to be very open and vulnerable with it which is really honorable um and we shouldn't be glorifying playing through an injury all the time we should instead be like glorifying Nadal being open about it being vulnerable about vulnerable about it talking about how he is taking a doctor with him um how he is being honest about like hey this is hard or you know showing that pain on court I think those are all really admirable things and paint a more accurate picture than making him out to be, or any athlete to be a hero for, you know, being, like, for going through pain. Yeah, and I mean, even today, like, I saw on Instagram, (laughs) everyone was talking about the Holger Rune match, that he got through it, um, he got through the last set with a horrible cramp in his leg, and he was limping the entire time, he couldn't even walk, And still, he managed to win. And people were praising him. Which, of course, like, that's a really difficult thing to do. But he shouldn't feel the pressure to continue through that pain. Like, that's immeasurable pain. Like, cramps are just horrible. We shouldn't include pain as a prerequisite for being an admirable athlete. I think that's a lot of the rhetoric we see around male athletes. I think around female athletes. Like, for example... A lot of people have been 
talking crap about Raducanu, you know, struggling with injuries and retiring in her matches, but, like, like, yes, like, she has been doing that quite frequently, but also, like, we're forgetting how young she is on the tour and, like, how this is still new for her playing this, you know, this level of um, matches, back-and-back, traveling, whatever. So I think a lot of times when female players retire or get injured, the response is like, oh, they're so weak. Like, they're not really meant for the sport. This is, like, child's play, kind of. Like, they're, like, this is why, like, it's not the big leagues like the men. So, really interesting stuff around um, injuries and how they are perceived um, across, you know, the two tours and across different genders. I just think it's always interesting to see how people talk about it because there it, it is a very gendered conversation. Yeah, I agree. I know, I just know that when I was little... I always used to consider an adult, oh, that's the one that's always injured, right? <laughs> I felt like he was injured for every other slam. But, um, yeah, just just in general, just an important conversation. We've definitely had this one before. I can't remember exactly when, but we definitely talked about this before because it, it is a big issue. And, like, especially what we were saying, oh, I remember. It was um in regards to... um. Was it shortening? Yeah, shortening the season because people, yeah. because players are expected to go at 100% for what, like eight, nine, ten months in a row mm-hmm. with only two months of recovery time in between. And it's just, it's, it's not, to a certain point, it's just not right for the player themselves. And also it just prevents like longevity. Like we see, for example, Federer, he's 40 years old and people are talking about his retirement, when in the span of life outside of the pro tennis tour, 40 is so young. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. We also talked about, this is a little bit different, I remember we also talked about it at the end of the French Open um, a couple of years ago about Sophia Kennan and how her taking a medical timeout was perceived and how oftentimes female players taking medical timeouts is perceived because it's like seen as more like a... Yeah, it's seen um, as, like, scheming. a strategic thing. Yeah, yeah, because it's... And I think that is, you know, could be rooted in ideas of not only women being conniving, but also um, the idea that, oh, like, their play is child's play, so it's obviously not that, like, it's really an like injury. injury they're really, like... The right? Real. Yeah. It's downplayed. Or like, yeah, or, like, seeing f- girls as caddy. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on in the way that we perceive um, these uh, these injuries. Like injury and sport, things. just flaws that tennis players in general might have. It's really, like, it's different. It's, yeah, it's it's also, it's just, like, weird. And it's something, like, it's important to talk about. Like, right now we're, we're having an open conversation about it. And the sad thing is that, this is rare in tennis media. For example, like, you see all the mainstream um, kind of, like, news channels for tennis. They're all talking about Rafa. Oh, my God, he's playing through his injury. He's a hero. He is, you know, he can get through anything. And that's what a true player is, getting through any pain. But it's it's not. It's about the results. And if you can't get the re- it's not even about the results. It's just like everything encompassed, but it's just nobody's going to remember this injury in the future unless it's what stops your career. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, let's reflect a little bit on Nadal. I mean, he only took his third defeat at the French Open last year um, in the semifinals following a joke of it. So, um, and he's had a pretty good clay season so far. So we will see him soon. Um, we'll talk about our expectations about him in a little bit in tennis talk, but keeping in mind that this injury has once again flared up. Now, to cap off our hot headlines section, Josephina and I saw this on social media and really thought it was fitting to include here as a little tidbit um, because they looked killer um, in these photos. But Vogue Czechoslovakia featured Karolina Pliskova, Petra Kudova, Barbara Krajcikova, and Martina Navratilova on their cover. Um, and these, this was the cover of the Vogue Leaders edition of Vogue Czechoslovakia. So, yeah, it was it was awesome photos. We it was a, I think a bit of a surprise, but it's nice to see them all together there. 
And then it also included an interview that Navratilova did with Kvitova earlier in Miami. And Petra said that she was honored to be featured in this month's At Vogue Czechoslovakia alongside some amazing women from Czech tennis and, of course, the one and only Martina Navratilova. And like we said, they looked amazing. And I think it's awesome that they were able to incorporate a legend here alongside the current stars of Czech tennis. All right, before we preview the French Open draws, this is quite timely. I think one of the timeliest uh, draw previews that we have done because the draw just came out today while we were in school. Um, But we're going to do a little recap of Rome. Um, That was the last clay court masters um, to happen before the French Open, so it is pretty important. On the ATP side, in the final, we had Novak Djokovic defeating Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-love, 7-6. And I think this was finally Djokovic, you know, showing that the world number one is back and at the four for French Open favorite, particularly because um, Nadal is injured. And we did see him have the capability to beat Nadal at the French Open again last year. So we were kind of had some question marks around him but knew he would come around at some point because he had not that many matches on his plate a few weird defeats to Vesely then Rublev then uh ADF ADF um there's another one um our Alcaraz although that's not really weird um but he didn't drop a set and throughout the entire tournament and took out players like Felix Casper Ruud and Tsitsipas of course so I mean, coming after that Belgrade final, which was that weird loss to Rublev, then, you know, the Madrid semis, the loss to Alcaraz, he really has been building up momentum, though. So I think he's definitely back in conversation. And we kind of knew this was going to happen before the, like, just before the French Open that he would get there eventually. It was just a matter of him getting some more matches under his belt. And something, just like a side note, something really cute is that it was a good day for him because... His seven-year-old son, Stefan, also won a tournament that day, which is, you know, really following in the footsteps. And uh, Novak said about that, It was nice to see him playing the first official tournament or match always stays in your memory very fondly. I really wanted him to enjoy it on court. I'm not forcing him to play tennis. I never did that. Not a single day have I told him, you have to do this. It's really purely his own desire to step on the court. Of course, I'll be thrilled if he plays tennis. And it seems like he's starting on a good note. His career is starting on a good note. And then the other Steph, Stephanos, actually, this one, he also had a phenomenal tournament, and he came through some really tough matches against Dimitrov, Kachanov, Sinner, and Zverev, and he had that bad soldier shoulder injury in... um no, surgery, actually, in November, December. That's what prevented him from performing at Nido. So it's good that he's been having a healthy, solid season, really recovering from that. And it says a lot about um, how he's, like, the form that he's going into RG with, especially since he's the defending finalist. So he has a lot to live up to. Yeah, and he has, over the past couple of years, really solidified himself as a, an amazing clay court player. Um, not many currently on the tour can come to par with that, really. I feel like we have Zverev in the mix, obviously Nadal and Djokovic, and um, last year Berrettini had some success on the surface as well. Oh my gosh, we forgot that hot headline. How could I forget? Matteo Berrettini is still recovering from his wrist injury, and he said that he will not be playing until the grass season. So lots of points will be gone, of, of course, from Madrid, from the uh, French Open quarterfinals. But he is taking care of himself again. And he went we to the movie to. festival. He's really and taking he went, care of himself. He went to Cannes movie festival, and he looked so good. The hair was on point. The suit was, like, a little cool. and fit. Even Josephina agrees with me. Like, it was a good look. Yeah, and honestly... Top tier event to go to. So exactly. I mean, he's living I, yeah. the life. He is living the life. Another person who's living the life is a little girl from Poland. A little girl from Poland. <laughs> Her name is Iga Swiatek. She is currently the world number one player in the world. She has won twenty eight straight matches. Five straight titles, and her fifth one actually came this past weekend when she defeated Ons Jabor 
the ninth seed, 6-2-6-2, in the final of the Italian Open. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this. Um, Iga Sviatek's fifth straight title came with this um, win. Only three other women have done this, Serena, Venus, and Justine Hennen. And it's her 28th straight win and fourth straight WTA 1000 title, eighth title in total, and fifth WTA 1000 title. She has won five out of the past nine um, WTA 1000s. And just, wow, she's completely obliterated her opponents in this uh, tournament. She did not drop one set. And she was also the the defending champion here, so she lived up to it. And um, just, yeah, she's just, wow. Just what a streak. It's like nothing we've seen in kind of this kind of like three-year stretch of WTA tennis. Everyone's talking about how like, um, you know, uh, there's no like, what's it called? There was no continuity in the WTA. Mm, That's mm-hmm, all we mm-hmm. heard for the past two years. And then you have Iga, and now people are like, oh, it's getting boring. No, it's not. I want to see how long this goes. I am so yeah. excited for her. I'm so for it. She's such an exciting player. She's a really cool playing style. She's fun off the court. Um, we still have a great cohort of other strong players in the mix, on Jabor being one of them. Um, so I think we're in a great era of the WT right now. I don't think it's one that we would have expected. Again, Not a lot of people all. were expect a lot of people were expecting this to be the Osaka Bianca years. Maybe even Inasimova you could throw in there. Although she is making a bit of a resurgence. But we have completely turned those tables a bit, but it's making for a really interesting environment. I mean, she really is taking over Ash Barty's spot well. I really do miss Ash, that is true. But Iga is doing her justice, and she was very emotional after her win in Rome. And she said later about her 28-match win streak, she said, There's no point of thinking, oh, this streak is getting long. What am I going to lose? Or, I don't know, is it even possible to win so many matches? I just don't think about it. I honestly kind of believe that the sky is the limit and I can go even forward. That kind of attitude of just looking forward, not thinking what's already happened, really helped me because I'm also saving energy by not doing that. I'm pretty proud of myself. Once again, we see this all the time, but Igor Swiatek is one of the most level-headed tennis players I have ever seen. She has her head screwed on straight. She knows when to prioritize her tiramisu, which is what she did after winning, um, and how to, you know deal with these new experiences. I mean, she's never been in a position like this, but she handles it so gracefully and maturely that I'm always impressed by her and proud to call her a fellow Gen Zer, even though there are a ton of Gen Zers out there, but she's a good brand for a good fit with brand our Gen Z brand. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know like all about that mental health, being open about, you know, menstruation i have just that put her on the top tier for me no it really did like i loved her before but then that really nailed it but um her opponent let's talk about her opponent because we have always loved ons we always talk about her so well on the podcast because she's just amazing and Ons was actually on an 11-match win streak before this because she had the Madrid title, where actually Iga took her break. So, <laughs> yeah. And then she has, um, Ons has the most clay court wins this season. So both um, backed up stellar clay season results, and they are huge contenders for French Open because this consistency on clay is unmatched by any other WTA player right now. Alright, now it is time for our Roland Garros preview. It has been a while since we've been in Grand Slam mode. Obviously, there's a big gap between the Australian Open and the French Open, which I've never really understood. I guess it's a weather thing, but like we are we have gap. so much space, and then French Open and Wimbledon are literally one after the other. And then we only have like about a month and a half until the U.S. Open. So And then the years that we have the Olympics, even crazier. Yep, yep. So it's a funky tennis calendar as we always say (laughs) let's start with the atp draw we're gonna go quarter by quarter as always um highlighting top contenders other potential challenges 
um, and kind of just the vibes of each quarter. So quarter, the top quarter is obviously Novak Djokovic's quarter, and he is here and back for his first Grand Slam in over nine months. Um, last time he played in a Grand Slam, of course, was the U.S. Open, um, which was Daniil Medvedev's, you know, win. Awesome. Um, and again, they're still chasing for 22, right? No, no, no. Rafa's chasing for 21. No, t- Rafa's chasing for 22, and Novak's chasing for 21. That's what I meant to say. Right, yes. Because Rafa put yes. himself one above. Yes, exactly. Sorry. It all gets muddled in our brains. <laughs> um, so Novak is in the top half here with Rafa also the fifth seed, um, kind of capping off the bottom. And remember, Novak won the tournament last year. He is the defending champion, and he defeated Nadal in the semifinals. So <laughs> kind of as always, because he is Novak Djokovic, his road to the quarterfinals and through this quarter looks pretty much like a walk in the park until obviously the quarterfinal yeah so I honestly obviously it's been a while since we've seen him in a huge tournament like this but I cannot remember the last time he didn't get some sort of amazing miracle draw and there was doubt to his clay season leading up to the French Open after his first round loss to um ADF in Monte Carlo, but that Rome title really solidifies him as a top contender for this clay slam. But um, as for his road to the quarters, it would be first round against Yoshihito Nishioka, and then probably Jensen Brooksby, Diego Schwarzman, Grigor Dimitrov. All great players, don't get me wrong, but this is Novak. And really the only one I can see taking a set off of Novak is Diego because, you know, Diego and Clay, they're practically synonymous, but Diego was actually, don't forget, he was a quarterfinalist here last year, so he does, he gets solid results here, but even he hasn't had a solid result since he made the Barcelona semifinals, but um, yeah, just Novak, wow, really just taking a stroll here. <laughs> yeah, then of course we have Rafael Nadal, the French Open king, but again, we have a lot of questions about that foot. We have Faith and he's ex- been dealing with this foot injury for a while, but this seems particularly bad. I feel like this seems like a little bit on the worse side end. So that is definitely concerning. Um but we'll see. You know, it is a grand slam, best of 5 sets, but also his favorite tournament. Um, we have Felix here in the ninth seed, but, like, literally, where has he been since taking his first title in Rotterdam? Like, I, like, I have, it, it's just kind of mid. I would say Australian Open was great, Rotterdam was great, but clay season, or everything since Rotterdam actually has been mid. mid. Um, <laughs> we've also got Riley Opelka, the 17th seed here. He's currently still in the Geneva tournament, the 250 in the semifinals, obviously serving crazy as usual but again doesn't really seem like an issue for Nadal because Nadal has played him a couple times this year and taken care of him Boshik van der Zanschlup 26 seed he's there we love him not much to say but we have also got 2015 French Open champion Stan Wawrinka Stan the man um who could potentially play Nadal on the second round so there is a lot going on this quarter we have some interesting people in the mix but I don't see there being a situation where we don't see a Rafa Novak quarterfinal and to be honest obviously we'll see as the tournament goes on I mean the injury could get better but I think everyone is highlighting Novak Djokovic as the favorite yeah and I've even seen like apparently Rafa's like doctor or coach said that they expect the injury to recover like while he's playing the French Open as he gets deeper into rounds because of their like recovery schedule something crazy okay. like that which That's is good. good it might just be a ploy to chill us yeah, out it could <laughs> but, also be that yeah but um just I hope he figures that out and I really hope that he's not causing any unnecessary pain to himself just Because he's ahead already. Like, he's already... He has that 21. He can chill for now. We're cool. We're cool. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay, anyway. The second quarter, we have the... um, (laughs) The third seed. But really, it's Carlos Algaraz's quarter. And other than those two, we have ADF here, the 25th seed. Taylor Fritz, the 13th seed. Nori, Cameron Nori 
the 10 seed currently into the Leon semi, so solid clay season results. And Sebastian Corda, the 27th seed. And finally, like I said, Carlos Alcaraz, the 6th seed. Awesome to see him in the top 10 uh, seeds of a Grand Slam. Isn't this the first time? It is, right? Yeah, it is. Very cool. But um, Zverev and Alcaraz are definitely the top favorites here. They already met in the Madrid finals where Carlitos completely whooped his butt. But both have had solid clay seasons, more than solid, just especially Carlos, like phenomenal clay seasons. And as for uh, Zverev's kind of clay results coming into this tournament, he made it to the Monte Carlo semifinals defeat and lost to Stefanos and then the mid the Madrid final where he defeated Stefanos but lost to Carlos and then the Rome semis where he lost to Steph and he is the defending semi-finalist here in the French Open yeah Carlos took the Barcelona title and the Madrid title defeating Nadal Djokovic and Zverev there um and then he kind of took a bit of a rest which I think was smart um, to give him some time to recover. But even just looking at these results, I think we see our five favorites, um, or is it four? Four favorites for the title um, stand out. We've got Djokovic, we've got Nadal, we've got uh, Alcaraz, we've got Tsitsipas, and then Zverev. Um, those are the five players who have had the best clay court seasons. Um, I would say Zverev, we've seen him kind of choke in those important moments. Tsitsipas, he was so close last time, but obviously he was facing Djokovic. So we will see. Um, and then Alcaraz just has this firepower and energy that just doesn't seem to, you know, face any challenge. So he is a serious person to be considering for not just making it out of this quarter, but the title. So I really don't see anyone else um, getting in the way of a Zvera versus Alcaraz quarterfinal, and I would favor Carlos Alcaraz there. Again, we have to see how best of five changes things. Zvera hasn't historically loved it. Carlos has been doing okay with it, but again, Zvera does have more experience. Um, as for other players here, we've got Brandon Nakashima and Dominic Thiem. Um, and then as far as our favorite, Taylor Fritz, the only significant clay result he's had so far has been the Monte Carlo quarters. He hasn't done much since, so not really expecting much from him here. I don't think this will, you know, be a fantastic tournament for him, but we'll see. Um, but it really is the Zverev Carlos show here to see who is going to most likely face either Djokovic or Nadal in the semifinals. Let's be honest, if Sebi makes it to the semis, Nadal is making it there because it's it's just fate that they meet <laughs> again. Um, as for the next quarter, the third quarter, we have Steph's quarter. He is the defending runner-up and has had such a cl- solid clay season leading up to it. And he's playing L- Lorenzo Mazzetti in the first round, which is interesting and Actually, surprisingly, Lorenzo made the round of 16 here at the French Open last year. Yeah. You should see the look I'm giving Josefina right now. I did not recall this. It's like he did the Rome stuff in, like, 2020, fell off the face of the earth. But he looked good (laughs) doing it, so it's okay. And then, um, other than Steph here, we have Casper Rude, the 8th seed. Dennis Shapovalov, the 14th seed. Huber Hercatch. And Francis Tiafo and Alex Demenor. I know, right? It's like, I, I, I forgot how to say the names of <laughs> these people. Um, but honorable mention, Joe Wilfred Sanga. He is retiring after this French Open, which he announced like maybe a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago. But just to highlight his, um, you know, career a little bit, he is the former number five in the world has had 18 titles on tour and is a two-time masters 1000s winner so a very very accomplished player he was a top contender for many tournaments in like from like 2000 to like 2015 even 18 so yeah (laughs) it's true it's true in 2019 he won four titles from 2000 to 2019 
That's old. That's 20 years, almost. Okay. I don't know if it was that long. But look, like, Nadal, like, he's in the same exact era as, like, Nadal and Federer. Right? True. But that we also, sense. like, were barely watching tennis then. That's true. We were literally... Embryos. But he's great. Basically, he's great. <laughs> yeah, he's great. And, yeah, just an honorable mention. Goodbye, Sangha, unless he wins the whole thing. Maybe he'll decide to stay. Maybe. Um, as far as Stefano Tsitsipas, he is 100% the biggest contender in this quarter, especially since Casper Ruud hasn't really been doing... Like, he's been... He's, I think people had higher expectations for him. He's built it up slowly in the clay season, but definitely wasn't doing great in the beginning. Um, so, yeah, Steph is the big favorite here. Definitely in the quarter, probably the half. Amazing clay season, as expected. Winning Monte Carlo, defending his title. Um, making the Madrid semis and the Rome final. As far as Casper Ruud, again, building momentum. Geneva semifinal, as we speak at the moment, but that is also a 250 event. Um, made the Rome semis the week before, losing to Djokovic. Um, and, you know, if he's able to keep that level up, he could pose a challenge to Steph, but I think Steph is just better in Grand Slams. I think he's just better in general, so I don't really know. And then, <laughs> shop of all, like, I, I just, like, don't even... I'm so tired. Like, being a Shapo fan, like, I don't even... I just, I just, Imagine I have no expectations. I don't live feels. with any expectations. Yeah, exactly. I don't okay. care. I just expect him to lose. Yeah. And or like, if not lose, at least lose his temper. Insert. Yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing is, when he does lose his temper, it literally sounds like a small kid having a tantrum. Like, I can't even take him is. seriously. Like, I can't He's literally take him a seriously. Child. I know. Wait, He's what's the term? angsty teen. Wait, what's the term? Is it himbo? Jimbo? Jim? No, it's no, a himbo. A he- child man? Man child? No, a himbo is like... Um, Wait, I, I've heard this word before. It's, it's, it's okay, uh, according to the internet, it's an attractive but unintelligent man. <laughs> okay. So, like, half of yeah. the ATP. <laughs> okay. Honestly, so good. Okay. And also, apparently, he's releasing a rap song with the new Midvision. What yes. is that? So, oh obviously, gosh. you know, we can excuse him for the losses. He's preoccupied with his phenomenal, you know, prestigious music career. He's on his way to the top, guys. I can already hear, like, the top 100 songs. The Grammys are calling. The Grammys, they're, they're ringing. Off if the Mateo can go to cons. Then Dennis, Dennis can, can go, go to, to the, the Grammys. Grammys. Exactly. But, um, yeah, he lost to Ilya Vashka yesterday. And, yeah, just so, so unpredictable. Not the losses. Him. Uh, <laughs> and he is playing Holger Rune in the first round, which is already, like, a huge I, red I, flag. I think that's going to be a... how yeah. long he'll last. But um, then we have Hubie. I feel like I haven't seen him in literally forever. He made the quarterfinals of Monte Carlo and Madrid, actually. Um, but uh, he lost in the first round of Rome, which was sad. But also, I feel like we haven't talked about him in so long. Yeah. Um. I mean, again, though, I just think this is Steph's quarter to take. We have Francis Tiafo here as well. Not really a big contender. He hasn't done anything too exciting as of late and David had a good run a couple weeks ago but I just he's still like ugh like he ugh Demon I need you to just I need you to have like a little I haven't heard his name in so long I know it's it, it's whatever but again we're probably looking at a Casper versus Steph quarterfinal here we have Francisco Serendol on the mix who knows if he could do anything but I really just don't see Anything aside from that happening, maybe her coach could mix things up a little bit, but I don't know. Step it up. Yeah, definitely unpredictable right now, except for the stuff part. 
And um, yeah, then we have Daniil Medvedev, the second seeds quarter. We also have Rublev here, Yannick Sinner, PCB, and Marin Cilic, the 20th seed. And of course, you can't forget Maxime Cressy. I literally saw a video of him on Instagram today and I was like, dang, where did he go? <laughs> like everyone was obsessed with him for like a hot minute like uh, completely obsessed and then just fell off the face of the earth he also gives himbo energy he does but i don't get the if there's two parts of the word i don't get the him part (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but as far as Daniil, he's come back after recovering from his hernia. We know he loves the clay. Um, he's only played one match on it so far, and that was a straight sets loss to Richard Gasquet in Geneva. So, don't know what to do about that. Um, he already faces a potential tough test against Miramir Kekmanovic, 28th seed in the third round, who we know have has been the 2022 dark horse uh Upsetter. slayer of the tour um but i mean daniel seems confident and chill as usual he said in his press conference i think with a few more days of training i should be ready for roland garros because physically even at this moment my body feels good if i can find my level again i can be dangerous which is interesting i hope that he is you know i think a lot of time his mental attitude towards clay inhibits him. It's just from, a huge block. It's a huge block, and I think he, if he's feeling refreshed, if his body feels good, which is a big thing, I don't see why he couldn't have like a decent result here. Like I think it could be possible, and I'm, I am hopeful that he's able to make it through here. Yeah, and I know what could solve the issue. I think he and clay need some solid counseling. Couple they need therapy. To just sit down, exactly. Sit down and have a session or two. I think that would solve the issue right there. Um, but then we have Rublev, and he lost in the first round here last year. But he was in this year. He was the Belgrade champion recently, um, defeating Novak Djokovic himself in the final. Uh, he made the Madrid quarterfinals, lo- losing to Stefanos, and lost in the first round of Rome. So kind of really mixed results on Clay, honestly. And he has yet to make kind of that huge, like, deep, deep slam breakthrough, meaning, like, semis and finals, because he's definitely made quarters before. But, um, yeah, this might not be the tournament you're looking for if you want Rublev to have finally his deep run. I think you should be looking more... U.S. Open, even, I think, because he, he's done well there historically. But um, just in general, Rublev has a decent draw until Yannick, though we have a Christian Guerin here as a potential third-round match, so keep an eye out for Guerin. He is definitely someone who could get through here as well because he is the clay expert, if not anything. Forget mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal. Christian Garin is Yeah. <laughs> uh, forget Iga Swiatek. It's Christian Garin. <laughs> um, as far as Yannick Sinner, I mean, I think I have cracked the code on why his solid results are going so under the radar. But I think it's because he was the teen of the year the last two years, kind of. And now we have Carlos that people are like, have already have faith in Yannick and like he's doing his thing. But he's been doing well. He um, did well in Monte Carlo. I forgot to write down exactly which, draw, which round he made, but he did defeat Rublev there. Made the Rome quarterfinals where he lost to um, Zverev and Steph respectively in those two tournaments so those are not bad losses and he's going quite under the radar um and has done really well at the French Open in the past making the 2020 quarterfinals and last year's Ren Pixie losing to Nadal both times I think but yeah both times he did I remember he defeated Zverev that time in 2020 um so he's done well here he's another person who's a pretty all-court player um so I want to see him do well. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's also another Italian, you know, living that life. Because he recently went to, I don't know, like the pictures that he showed were insane. Basically, like Gucci rented out like an entire castle 
basically, and had a fashion show there. And Yannick was invited, and he was wearing a navy blue suit with, like, little red details on it. And, oh my goodness, he that was man knows popping how to dress. off. Exactly. Knows, I think he had And Mateo with his sunglasses, consult. my goodness. Yeah. My goodness. Really yeah. good. Yannick Sinner, he is... Honestly, is he underrated in the look dis- looks department? Like, I can't tell, because the people that like him well, really like him, and the people that don't just don't see it. I mean, he also, like, was, like, 18 he is a for child. a while. Yeah, he is a so child, practically. I think people kind of... <laughs> They're like... Mm. I think he's aging into himself well. He is, he is. Um... We're literally watching some some of these players just, like, go through puberty casually, but whatever. It's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Anyways, as for this quarter, just as kind of a review, it's definitely kind of an open quarter. Probably, maybe, Rublev versus Sinner in the round of 16. And then, considering Daniil's, you know, whether he's zen with the clay this year... uh, And the openness of the other part of the quarter, it seems like... Rublev or Yannick's quarter to take because like we said that would be the round of 16 so whoever wins that match could have their spot guaranteed in the semis all right WTA time so we're gonna start with the first quarter this first quarter is gonna be short because it's Iga Swiatek's quarter so like I literally don't see anything else happening except a Swiatek win um she's the first seed we've got Karolina Pliskova at Karolina Pliskova at number eight Pegula at 11 Halep at 19 and Samsonova at 25 Iga's obviously the clear favorite here Pegula has been in good form with that Madrid final we've seen Halep do well here and there and actually Samsonova is the only person to have taken a set off of Iga since the since Indian Wells and could potentially meet Iga in the third round so that's interesting um, again, Halep could be Iga's round of 16 opponent, opponent, and I really don't have much expectation for Karolina Pliskova because she still is sort of coming back from injury. Um, we do have a nice round one between Maya Sharif and Marta Kostyuk, two of our Gen Zers, but overall, I don't know about you, Josefina, but I really just feel like this is Iga's to lose. Like, I don't really see anything else happening. Yeah, honestly, it's just a matter of how far the other ones can get. Like, who's yeah. the other quarterfinalist? Things like that. But in the second quarter, we have uh, Paula Badosa. But the question is, is it really her quarter this year? Because she is the third seed. And then we also have Arena in the seventh spot. Danielle Collins as the ninth seed. And Elena Rivakina as the 16th seed. And remember that Paula made the quarters here last year. However, we haven't seen much of that top form we know her for in this clay season, which leads to doubts for her French Open season, or performance, actually. And then Danielle, the ninth seed, she has not played on clay at all this season. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. No, and when she has... I don't know why I worded it like that, actually. Like, I said Danielle Collins (laughs) has not played much I guess on clay this season and when she has it has not been to her potential I don't know why I worded the first line like that yeah but um yeah and then we have Rubikina who was a quarter finalist here last year so um however she has not been past the round of 16 in any clay tournaments all season so it's just a big question mark here it's really hard to pick contenders because it's kind of just like Whoever is in the best form here can take it. But, I mean, Paula, like, we know she has the potential, and I think she can raise her level when it comes to the bigger tournaments like this. And Arena, too, she's a wild card, honestly. I think my eyes are on Arena because she has actually had a very good clay season, getting to the Stuttgart final and then the Rome semis, both times only losing to Sviatek. Um, She took out Contivate, Bedosa, Andrescu, um, and she's just been, like, you know, even Pagula in some of those tournaments, so 
I'm actually really excited to see how she does because maybe she's finally getting her groove again. Um, but again, really open quarter, good contenders here. I think we would have a deserving quarterfinalist, most likely. We also have Madison Keys, Camilla Georgi, Veronica Kudermatova, and Shelby Rogers here. So those are all players who have the potential to often just like make their um mark we've also got taylor townsend who's coming back from maternity leave but she's also been training with cardi b and normani right um i think from so. what i saw on instagram but she's been playing itfs won her most recent one on clay so she i'm excited to see her back as well yes and then for the third quarter we have maria sakari the third seed and Jabour. The sixth seed, so already a lot of names, but we have more. We have Ons Maria, Naomi Osaka, Anisimova, Layla, Bencic, Andrescu, Raducanu, uh, Kerber, who is currently in the Strasbourg fin- semis, actually, and Petra Kvitova. So then we have a potential for an Ons Raducanu, Raducanu quarterfinal. Ons is coming in as definitely a top favorite for the slam. And didn't we say that? I feel like we said the same thing about her last year. Did, Did we? I feel like she had a solid clay season last year. I don't know why, but I'm getting yeah. like. But I think this right ti- like a ti- a thousand title win is like yeah, it's big, even it's bigger big because after Iga, I don't think anyone comes close to Jabor. Exactly. Because she's spot. been there, like matching her every spot. And like we said, she has the most wins this clay season, so that's already big. And then she's just never really been in a situation like this, so I'm very excited to see. And from what we've seen with Ons, she does very well with pressure, in fact. Well, she was she used to struggle with it, like getting the late stages of tournaments and then not being able to like close complete. off matches. But now she started to get some titles under her belt, and I, and I think that's, that's big. Yeah, it helps a lot. Also, we have Emma, again, if this is a potential quarterfinal here. Um, she is slowly building up the wins, but fitness will be a big factor. Again, she has been injured or retiring from a lot of matches recently, so we'll see. But I see her as a big match player. I think she steps up to the challenge. We saw her do that at the U.S. Open. So I feel like a Grand Slam would play to her advantage. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, I'm not even... At this point, I'm just not, I'm not anti-Emma anymore. I'm just like, okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, anyways, first round match, we have Anisimova versus Osaka. And if you don't remember their epic Australian Open round three match, this will be exciting. Oh, and- wait, I have a quick correction to make. I said it would be a potential Raducanu Jabor quarterfinal. It would actually be a potential round of 16 oh well still just as exciting because like round of 16 is second week anyways i always you know group 16 and quarterfinal together in my head anyways but um naomi in this tournament so we remember she missed it last year because she was boycotting the press as she should queen and she has only played two clay matches, and she lost in the first round in what tournament to Sarah Sarius Storma? Rome? I believe it was from... I don't know. Yeah. No, summer. Naomi didn't play Rome. She didn't? She, was, she lost to SST in Madrid. Okay, so then either way, just iffy, iffy results leading up to um, the French Open. But then again, like... This is Naomi Osaka. Like, you kind of got to cut her some... Not cut her some slack, but, like, you can expect that she can step up to the plate and really play it out here because it's a big tournament. And she I have no that. idea especially what to with, expect from yeah, her. Yeah, especially with how, like, much better, apparently, her mental health has been lately. But, At yes, least but, like, haven't... It. I agree, and I don't want to be, like, you know... But I feel like we've been saying that for a while. Yeah. Like, I understand it's like a it's, like, a journey and stuff, but, like... I feel like there's only so much we can tell from how she's doing, like, from a mental health standpoint. Like, off court. Yeah, at the end of the day, court. like, it's going to matter, like, how well she plays on court when we're talking about, you know, is she a contender here? And Clay hasn't historically been her favorite 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, this Anisimova first round, again, they had a great epic third round match at the Australian Open where Amanda won is going to be interesting. And I think it's good that she's opening with a test. Um, again, confidence boosting win. Maria Sakari could be the person facing the winner of Amanda and Osaka potentially in the third round. And Maria is defending semi-finalist points here in Paris. And she's had an average but not really so great clay season so far. So look, taking this all into account, I, I mean, again, Osaka, I have no idea what to expect. But from Amanda, I could see opportunities for her to go far here as well. Yeah. Because she's definitely been, we've talked about her having solid results recently, especially considering, like, how tough of a year she had last year. But she's really, really coming back strong from that, and she's just a whole new player now. And, um, yeah, and then we also have a potential second round, Benchich versus Bianca. And Benchich lost in the second round here last year, but has had a decent year clay-wise. She was the Charleston champion, if you don't remember. And she is just always dangerous in Grand Slams. She is a gold medalist, after all. And this is Bianca's first Grand Slam in a very, very long time. But she was the player who challenged Iga the most in Rome. So it'll be interesting, because she definitely has been getting like those wins under her belt she's been kind of coming back into form and it's been nice to see that journey honestly so I'm excited to see how she does yeah overall though I'm just mostly interested to see how Ons does here I would pick her as the favorite but we do also have our eyes on Bianca Amanda and of course also Osaka and Sakari although those seem a little bit less likely. And I'm also curious to see if Emma is going to find some, or begin to find some ground here again, because she has been slowly doing a bit better in these matches, um, and I think getting her footing. So, but still, this is Ons Jabor's quarter. Um, not to take, because it's difficult, but this is the first time, again, she's walking into a Grand Slam being the up big there name. as a top top two top three favorite to win for sure yeah and then now we have the final quarter of this whole shindig shandig oh my god what's the word shindig right yeah okay so then we have the fourth quarter of the wta section definitely a tough quarter here full of players that have the potential to do phenomenally but unfortunately we haven't seen that from them recently so really it's just whoever can raise their level here which is it's it's exciting honestly to see who's going to make it to the semis here. But um here we have Annette Contevate, the fifth seed, Barbie K, the second seed. And She's back. Defending champion, she is back. And Garbine Muguruza, the 10th seed, Victoria Zarenka, Coco Goff, and Jill Teichman. We're going to talk about her but there's a lot to talk about, actually, surprisingly. And she is the 23rd seed. But, of course, first up, we have our defending champion, none other than Barb, the queen herself, the necklace queen. She has literally not played since February. What? And isn't she happy that she's in the same quarter as her bestie, Garbinia Muguruza? Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Yeah, they have a whole thing going on. And honestly, like, I've always been a fierce Muguruza fan. So that's why I've always been, like... No, that's why since last year, since they had... Like, since they started that beef, I was like, mm, I know which side I'm on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it started. Yeah. But again, I mean, she has not played, Barbara has not played since February. I don't know what to expect of her. I kind of forgot that she won last year. So who knows? Then we have Annette Conteve, who we absolutely love. Literally one of my top, top favorite players. Um, And she has not been performing that well lately on clay. Lost in the first round of Rome. Her Instagram is doing well, though. She looks cute. She's posting cute pics. I, but yeah, I hope this can be a good tournament for her because she also is waiting for a good slam result because she's always that smaller tournament person like the indoor season oh my lord i'm excited um muguruza has not been doing well 
ever since really the Guadalajara year in finals. Lost in the first round of Rome, the second round of Madrid, and in her second match at the Rabat 250. Um, so don't know what to do about that. And then Coco Goff has had a solid, okay, clay season, round of 16 at both Madrid and Rome. And even though these are kind of, you know, they're they're okay, but they do put her in a better position for the quarterfinal than her other um, peers in this quarter. But I feel like we always have this situation with the WTA. We have one quarter that is stacked, aka the quarter we just talked about with Ons and um, Osaka and Sakari and um, Raducanu, etc. And then we have this one quarter that's always like open. That's like the seeds aren't doing well and then we just don't know really what's going to happen. And that's this one. Azarenka is here too and she's also been struggling lately. Um, so, yeah. But there is one person of note here, I think, that could definitely be a t- contender here based just based on, like, recent results, you know, momentum in general. And that is Jill Teichman, who is, I think, most likely to make it far here because um, she made the Madrid semifinals, then Rome quarterfinals. So not bad at all, and she's definitely been able to keep that momentum up because... I mean, Rome quarterfinals is not bad at all leading up to, especially since that was literally last week, if not less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. And she's definitely just your typical dark horse in this quarter, but compared to momentum with other players in this quarter regarding recent results, she has a huge advantage here. But um, other than um, these people we just spoke about in this quarter, I'd like to mention that we have Camila Osorio, to play Barbie K in the second round, potentially. And also we have Sloane Stevens, which should be interesting because she always adds some spice to the mix because she is a solid player who can bring her level up whenever necessary. Yeah. All right, that's all we have for our French Open preview. This was a very extensive episode. We went pretty in-depth here but we hope this provided some insight. We'd also love to hear your opinion, so feel free to share those um, with us via Instagram or Twitter or email. We're excited to always interact with our listeners. Um, and we'll see. This isn't, I would say, Josephina and I's favorite slam by any means, but it's nice to see some favorites doing well and potentially, you know, making some first time breakthroughs. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is Game, Set, and Match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released next week as the French Open begins. And remember, my name is Josephina. And my name is Shravia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.